Hello and welcome to the final episode of our lockdown series of Material Matters with Grant Gibson. That's me. As regular listeners will know, the idea behind the show is that I speak to a designer, maker, artist or architect about material or technique with which they're intrinsically linked and discover how it changed their lives and careers. Now, usually we do this by visiting the guest workshop or studio, but for the time being, we're recording over the internet instead, and it seems to have gone pretty well. Thanks so much to everyone who's taken the time and trouble to listen. It's been hugely appreciated. The new setup has also given us a chance to throw our net a little bit wider, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Alexi Peskin. I came across the work of the Paris-based artist at last year's 154 Contemporary African Art Fair at Somerset House, and described it in a subsequent Instagram post as breathtaking. Rather than using canvas, Peskin takes an earth and coffee-stained timber base, and instead of paint, he hammers nails at different heights, which are often tipped with gold leaf to form the features of a face. The resulting portraits of black subjects, or power figures, are large-scale and immensely detailed, while being both beautiful and haunting at the same time. They also possess an extraordinary sense of topography. The work talks about race, migration, deportation, with recent pieces paying tribute to migrants undertaking dangerous boat journeys from North Africa to Europe. It's utterly compelling. Alexi, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Was it all reasonably accurate? Um, It was. (laughs) It was pretty accurate. (laughs) Okay. I always like to give these shows a bit of context. Uh, as I mentioned, you're based in Paris, but but whereabouts are you? Uh, in uh, Issy, which is like um, southwest of Paris, where I grew up. No, that's why I'm right now. My studio is also in the same city, so I'm here in my hood. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk a bit about your studio? It's always nice um, for the listeners if we can kind of paint a paint a picture, or in your case, you know, hammer some nails into what your studio looks like. Yeah. So my studio, like, I'm really blessed to have it. Like, I really, actually, in the city where I grew up, um, it's uh, in the neighborhood of Lagarde in Issy. Um, and uh, it's underneath a train, uh, underneath a bridge where the train, uh, the RER, uh, passes. So basically, you have, like, about um, 30 artist studios in round shapes in the modern architecture right under uh, the arches. The place uh, is actually called The Arches because it's under the arch of the, the bridge of the train. Yeah, and each circle unit has like three artist studios, have about 43 square meters. Uh, it's a beautiful studio, it's a duplex. Yeah, man, it's like, it's kind of like a, an extension of me. And this is uh, where I make the, the magic happen and where all the emotions, uh, you know, gets canalized and uh, put out into artwork. And is everything ordered or are you a messy worker? So I have a, the downstairs part where that's a little bit more messy, but it's still ordered. And then there's the, the upstairs part where, you know, when I spend late nights where I sleep and everything. So it's like more like of a, looks more like a living area. Uh, no, it's actually the, the upstairs part is always tidy and, and uh, ordered. And I have artifacts and crafts that I brought from uh, all over the world, uh, mainly like Brazil. African continent in the US or whatever they say and I have like beautiful uh, works and objects from from everywhere and my books and uh, and all that everything but a TV <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how have you coped with the virus I mean this podcast is defiantly not about the virus but we can't really avoid yeah. it yeah did you develop a, a corona routine uh well during the corona I was uh, locked down with my brother and my son 
And so basically we were like taking it really serious. My brother got asthma. Uh, so pretty much in about two months and a half, I, I've only went out four times. My brother actually didn't go out once at all. Um, and like, you know, I went out like with a big uh, cart, supermarket cart <laughs> with my mask and everything. And we just like, we pretty much like stayed in every day. What I did was work out a lot and um and cook a lot <laughs> and re read a, a lot of the books that i that have been wanting to read like i was reading two three books at the same time i read like a lot of Ponce Fanon, uh, some that i had read before that i wanted to read again it was also quite tough because like you know having uh your son he's five requires like a lot of attention like doing such a situation because it's really awkward like i, I know they cope better than us adults but Still, like, you know, I was trying to make sure that he had everything he needed and, and uh, all the mental affection and stuff that he needed, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I got, towards the end, I got to read a lot, um, read a lot of stuff about Guadalupe because, like, I'm supposed to do a show there. Also, um, I read quite a bit about, you know, the Black experience everywhere I go. And I'm trying to understand history in general. Um, so because, like, history has been hidden from us uh, uh, quite a bit, in the West, so I always have to unlearn and relearn. I'm really like into Fanon, and like people should really, everybody should in the world should read Wretched of the Earth, man. It's such a an important piece. Mm. And um, yeah, so that was pretty much it. And now I'm I'm on my phase where I'm preparing a, a solo show with October Gallery uh, for September. So now I've started taking photos again and everything of, right. to make like further power figures. And uh, so right now I'm working on the images on the computer uh, and uh, I have ordered the wood and the shapes that I want to do. Like, so right now I'm like working with like more complex shapes that I have been working on. Can we talk about um, your relationship with the nails, yeah. but, but also kind of, I'm keen to unpick your process a little bit. And, and how do you go about creating these extraordinary portraits the, the power figures that you talked about so i came from france that's where i grew up my mother came from brazil father's french and russian but like the since i was a kid like the black experience is something that basically you know has touched me and, and uh that that i lived and that i've been looking around and, and i've been interested in, in uh those stories everywhere i go so and and they're different but with the same dynamic with the same challenges kind of everywhere so uh in my work, I was trying to uh, translate a lot of feelings of frustration uh, that I had, you know, like growing up in France, like we definitely see like a lot, lot of racism, a lot of uh, uh, even police brutality. Even I lived such experiences off quite often. Uh, and so uh, those are things that, you know, I wanted to um, express to kind of like, you know, take out of my mind into artwork. And so I've experienced like different material. When I was in a um, mixed media class at Howard University under uh, Professor uh, Sorrells Adewali, and he influenced mm. us to use different materials to express things and ideas uh, and to think about how we could convey certain feelings or whatever. So physically I'm using dots uh, as um, uh, dots are used in, um, in uh, printmaking. So if you look close up at, I don't know if I give you the example of like Andy Warhol and you look at some of his like iconic images, if you look really close, you see that the images are made actually of, of uh, the values and the shadows are made with dots of different sizes, black dots. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like took that uh, because I was really interested in this graphic image. Uh, I really like graphic 
design and graphic images. Well, there's something quite Roy Lichtenstein about some of your work, I think. Yeah, like there was like also an early influence um, and or um, a Chuck Close and Warhol, like aesthetically, mm. those like mm. things. So, but what I started doing was like trying to play with those dots. Uh, uh, at some point I was drilling holes and putting light coming back from like having it backlit. Uh, I tried many things like scraping, scraping steel and different materials. And then I ended up even like burning the wood and everything. And now um, I ended up at, at some point, the first year that I got to Mica, I had this uh, wood panel that I used as a table. And I wanted to, you know, like when you're in college, you're a little broke, so you could use, use try whatever you have, you know. And, um, yeah, and yeah. so as I saw this uh, wood panel, I was like, oh, maybe I should try with nails and everything. I thought nails was really interesting because I could translate that uh, idea of pain, um, of suffering. Um, I think that was quite parallel to the, to the black experience. Um, mm. And so this whole frustrations and frustrations that we live in now that live, that's been under our skin our whole lives, you know, even when we have like joyful moments or whatever, you know, we still go by and get by and everything is, is fine. But like we, we were challenged so uh, constantly. So I was trying to, to translate that. Yeah, the nails I thought was interesting because of this idea of like being perforated and, and, and uh, this violence, uh, even the violence of uh, hammering in the nails. Uh, and even if you like look at the piece, so they look pristine from the, the, the front. But like if you look at the back of the pieces, you know, the nail kind of like go through the skin of the wood and tears it. Mm. And, and um, the wood, it kind of explodes uh, in the back and, and, you know, it gets tear, the torn down and, and, and some of the pieces actually like, you know, leave the piece. So it's quite a, a destructive. I love like this idea of like, you know, constructing through a destructive manner. Um, and also, I think that as I always say, nails, um, the metaphor is also that nails is destructive, but it's used to construct things and to build things. So. I kind of like this duality. In terms of your process, I'm really keen just to work out how you create these faces. Are you working to a stencil or I do are you doing it freehand? Or? So I, I actually, I start with photos that I take and that, that right. I work uh, uh, on the computer on Photoshop. And then um, once I have the image the way I want I'd, and I've defined the size that I want, then I print the image at, at the size that I want. If, for instance, I decided that I wanted to like have like a circular image that has a two meter diameter, then I have to order wood and to have somebody making the shape, that round shape of two meters diameter. And then once I receive that, I actually stain the wood uh, and age it. Often like what I've been doing is like I stain it with coffee, earth and um, uh, water. So I kind of like make this mud and put it all over the surface until it dries. And then like I have to scrape it off uh, and then if I want it darker, I'll put another coat and let it dry again until like, I scrape it off again. Right now, actually, this part, I'm also experimenting with flowers and, and other things, but I'm always using natural elements. And I'm just to stain the wood, the, the, the elements that I use are metaphors. So coffee, I thought was interesting because it, it can evoke human exploitation, you know, things that was done during slavery and, and beyond and after that. So I stain the wood and then once that is done, I actually create a halo. Uh, I, I define where, where the, 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 the image of the subject is going to be. And then like I send the background to create like a, a gradient to have a halo behind the head of the sitter. And then what I do after that 
is that actually I put tape all over the the panel that's already like stained and, and uh, aged with the coffee and the earth and everything. Um, and that has the halo. And then I put, um, after I put the tape all over, I put the, the print over it. I use a scalpel or what people know as an exacto knife. And uh, actually I cut the silhouette off, you know, very precisely. If like the silhouette has hair and everything, like I kind of have to go through all the, the little details in the in the hair. It's very meticulous work. And then once this is done, then I take the tape off wherever I want the silhouette to be made. Uh, and I leave the tape where the background is. And then I, I use some like fine black paint to create, to paint the silhouette. And then once this is dry, I just take the tape off. And with the silhouette over the stained background with the halo. And then I do a color coding on the print. So there's different sizes of uh, dots, right? And I replace those dots by nail heads, right? Because I, I use eight different sizes of nails to create the, the gradient and the different values. So what I do is that each size of nail or each category of nail has a color, right? So that's how I know where I put which nails where. Then I put back the, the print over the board, right? And then uh, the stained board um, with the silhouette. And I mark every dot where there's going to be a nail. And then I have to take little regions of nails of, on that print, cut them with a, with a scalpel, uh, take them off, and then just read the color coding. And line by line, I actually follow the color coding and hammering those nails. Yeah, and that actually forms the image. So it's quite, the execution is quite, there's like quite an intricate methodology. Do you do this all yourself or do you have assistance? No, now I have assistance. I've worked uh, for a long time by myself, but actually I have to give it up to friends and stuff because like when I couldn't necessarily afford assistance, I had like, I always had friends around who helped me because like often I had this work is like very uh, tedious and there's like a lot of work to do. Uh, and, um, and I've always had like big aspirations of like, doing big projects and, and uh, uh, kind of like um, I've, I saw grand, grand projects and grand, grand uh, images and stuff. So I've basically always had like little time to do a lot of things. So, I've always needed help from friends if it was before or, or family members. And so I've often worked uh, in the company of, uh, of people. And now I work with um, a lot of assistants and mentees because I also have a, a, a nonprofit and I, and I actually uh, involve like young men and women who are interested in the arts into projects. And uh, whenever I get opportunities, I always try to uh, get them you know, to either travel with me in, in as my assistants in um, residencies and everything. So I do work with, with assistants uh, uh, a lot, actually. So maybe, Alexi, let's go back to your work. Can we talk about the nails themselves? Because it seems to me that the use of nails is about building things. There's also a religious element, Christ being nailed to the cross. Um, that said, they're an object that's often overlooked. I mean, what do they mean to you? I wouldn't say like religious, like in my work, I would say uh, more like spiritual. Yeah, it's spiritual. It's more like a, it's, it's a vibe, it's an energy. Uh, it's also therapeutic. It takes you, your mind elsewhere. It's like a, a lot of aggression that you feel and that you sense and a lot of frustrations that you kind of like ooze out 
you know, with this practice that I feel is interesting. Besides all of the metaphors that I was talking about, you know, like within uh, the Nkisin Kondi um, uh, power figures of the Congo, you know, the wooden sculptures that have nails on them yeah. uh, and they're made for the protection of their owners. That's like, um, it was one of the metaphors that, that thought this power, this protection that, you know, I feel like uh, black people and Afro descendants uh, need on the global scale. Then uh, also there is, like, as you said, like, you know, it could, can be also of reference, like, you know, in crucifixion and in sacrifice. But less religious for that on that end it was it's more just more that idea uh, of sacrifice of like lost generations and you know for centuries even then colonization and so many things you know and and then then you know like we do reconstruction to everything and what what about the gold leaf what does that represent the gold leaf I think also is part of that narrative where often also we have to remember that you know our histories as far as like you know afro descendants and uh, descendants of africans don't just start with slavery or colonialism it's before i mean like it's forever it's for, since the beginning of humanity like literally so basically uh this idea of gold because it's what like you know also we what we value is um showing the the power like like also it's like a, an homage and a reference to past history uh, on the african continent because like if you if you dig again this is something that's like hidden uh, that's been hidden at least in france uh what i know in, in most of the west you know like the the greatness of african history and how you know rich uh, a lot of cultures were like you know uh, uh literally and uh figuratively so the gold is for that and also the idea that i'm using a material that's quite banal like a nail that's overlooked and transform it as an alchemist you know in gold uh this is also the idea that pre-colonial and pre-slavery also after this misfortune we've been constantly able to turn you know basically the least of things that we were able to have through our exploitation into gold man like we've had like the worst parts of you know swine uh as food uh, and we turn it into feijoada in brazil uh, which became like you know the national dish like constantly we've created art and refined art with nothing which is i think like one of the best quality of humanity Still today, we're denied our humanity, and we're seeing this uh, every day in the news and, and on the internet. And we've were able to create the like the best examples, you know, like the we're the boutique, what the best of what humanity can create as a race. And still, we're there's so much disdain like that's thrown at us. So I think like the goal is this idea to show how you use like a nail something that's like really overlooked and turn it into something grand and grandiose it's a it's a homage to our ancestors who have been able to do do that and of actually us we you know it's like we have to clap for ourselves who is still doing this mm. Mm. and the power figures in your work how do you choose them actually i go with 
energy, man. Like, I, I, I look, there's people who I know, there's people, like, like last week, I've actually shot the portrait of uh, a model who I've seen. Like, I, I often collaborate with Muriel Kabil, who's a hair artist and a fashion designer. And I saw one shoot that she did uh, recently in, like, a, a march that she did on the Champs-Élysées also. I was like, I saw striking, beautifully powerful faces, and, and I was like, oh, like I would really love to, to see how they come out, you know, in power figures. And so that's an example. But some people are people that knew. Whenever I see somebody, whether it's in the street or or on social media, I take notes. I'm like, oh, whenever I will want to recreate work or power figures, I. I uh, let me try to contact this person or whatever. And so I have like a list of, of uh, people who uh, I feel, you know, have a certain energy and, and whose uh, faces, you know, translate power, boldness, affirmation, melancholy, sadness, you know, softness, many things generally that's like, that is not attributed to, to blackness or to dark black bodies so you stop people on the street and say i, I must photograph you yo like i'm super shy a part of me is super shy like sometimes i could be like you know very like lively and everything but like i do it sometimes or sometimes i'm so shy i ask somebody to do it for me <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah I, I do that i do that sometimes I, I do that i have done that and i do that sometimes but mostly uh i like to do it to people who I know. Sometimes I just like, I contact people on Instagram, you know, just gotta talk about my work, show examples. Most of the time, like people are, are pretty open to it and, and uh, they respond positively to it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, can we talk a bit about your, your background, Alexi? Yeah. As, as you've alluded to, you were born in Paris in 1979. Yes. Uh, your mother came from Salvador, which is the Northeast region of Brazil. While your father was of French Russian Jewish extraction, mm-hmm. your grandfather Boris was a Jewish engineer, I believe, mm-hmm. who survived a concentration camp. And on the other side, your other grandfather Antonio, uh, who I've seen a photo of in your Instagram account, um, was an Afro Brazilian carpenter. I mean, it's a really uh, eclectic mix. And presumably, it gave you some insight into to race relations and migration, I guess. My grandfather, Boris Biskin, on my father's side, he also happened to be quite talented uh, filmmaker. Uh, he made a couple films right. in his lifetime. Actually, he was in a circle of friends with uh, André Malraux. He took actually a, a famous photo of, uh, of André Malraux. Uh, and he was a resistor. So yeah, he was also in film and uh, engineering. His mother was, was interesting. His mother um, had a, a hardware store, <laughs> which kind of makes right. sense. And then on the other end, yeah. on the other <laughs> side, I had my grandfather who was a carpenter in Brazil. So that kind of like, I guess that converges into my work. Yeah, yeah. My DNA, my grandmother was a seamstress. So, ah, so that kind of okay. kind of work, you know. So, where are your parents artistic? Where does the interest in art and making things come from? But yeah, definitely. Like my mother always interested in, uh, uh, like always has been making music. Uh, Nurses from like Salvador Bahia, and like it's a very musical and artistic place naturally. Everybody in my family are kind of like musicians and and uh, and artists, but I guess informally. And my mother like makes sculptures and uh, 
jewelry and she does like batucada you know like batucada is like improvised drums and uh and rhythms that you know she could like start mm. that like at any time like beating on the kitchen table and start improvising chants and everything and, and my father on my father's side like he's like taught us how to draw he's like you know he's also a teacher in architecture yeah we definitely like grew up in, in a very artistic household my brothers all of my brothers are artists all of them have like three brothers hmm. my youngest brother is like a visual artist and he plays uh, many instruments and he was a composer and the one before him uh, that's right after me also uh, is a talented musician who was signed to universal he also does like music videos and and, uh, and films uh, ha- has won a couple uh, awards actually my youngest brother got a cesar for like an animation film as well yeah so and the one after me like does music and film and other things and uh and the one before me is also uh, uh into more like architecture and uh technology but within art and spaces and, and uh design and everything yeah yeah so you were surrounded by art at home what were you like at school you know like all of us was i guess class clowns and kind of uh, uh turbulent yeah we're just like we're that bad we just i guess i guess bad but not like violent bad like <laughs> more like you know <laughs> class clowns mm, mm. And it was kind of known my whole family was kind of kind of like that actually we learned later that our father is kind of kind of like this and my mother we always knew she's kind of like that so it's kind of like in the genes <laughs> but um <laughs> i'm not explaining like it wasn't interesting in school like there's like a lot of things that i could do actually talent that i had like i i I really knew how to draw really well since i was like really young you know i was good at sports i was good at english but even with that the um how you say the matière the the subjects and the topics that counted was more french and math or whatever and you know drawing or art didn't really count music didn't count so you know i don't know like i kind of got bored or whatever i was a I don't know if it's an excuse or whatever, but like I, I kind of like messed up. But see, but later through sports and basketball, I got to get a scholarship to go to Howard University. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, because one of the things you learn when you read any press clippings on you is that you are tremendously tall. You're six foot five, seemingly, yeah. and you're excellent at basketball. Yeah. So, so was it a toss up between art and sport? Uh, well, no. Like at some point, I was doing all of it when I was in high school. Which is a little crazy, like in France, uh, where what's really bad is that we don't have good competition within high schools. So pretty much if you're good at any sport, whether it's football or whether it's like basketball or anything else, you kind of have to go in a club that's outside of school and it takes a lot of uh, time. So a lot of people who are good at sports actually end up going to um, clubs and stopping school early. Which is crazy. Where, where, like, I think, like in a American setting, if you're not good, in, if you don't have good enough grade, for, they have good competitions within the high schools uh, and and colleges. And if you don't have good enough grades, then you can't play. So that's like a good incentive to actually play and study. So me, when I got to high school, I was doing it. Then, like, at some point. The, I guess the the drawing, uh, I went to a vocational school for art, but then when I started like being more serious about about basketball, it kind of like overtook everything. And then like it was complimentary because then basketball took me to the United States 
and then I was like really serious about it. And then I got to college and then in college I had to choose a major and a minor and I choose like painting and photography. And the first it was like fashion merchandising. Once I was in that, then I started being serious again about art. And at some point it was kind of like a conflict to like do both. And then I had like little beef like with like we had three different coaches in one year and and then I just ended up putting basketball and uh I went to uh, like I had a scholarship for art and I just like you know gave it gave it my all and that's what I was saying in comparison to when I was in France and disinterested in in the school system when I got to college it was really what I wanted to do and then I, I ended up like graduating uh summa cum laude because once I had the time and once I, I didn't have like, you know, the crazy hours between basketball and art, then like my grades went up like crazy. And yeah, I was like passionate. So it was a Nike scholarship for basketball that initially took you to the States, but, but then the art took over. So it was a Nike camp. I did the Nike camp in France, in, uh, in Paris, in uh, Rob Merce and uh, Jean-Pierre Cézelski, or scouts who uh, actually saw me and they told me about um, as we went closer to like the final, the championship at the Nike camp, uh, me and the team that was appointed to me when we first got there, basically it's open to everybody. You go there, they tell you, oh, you tall, you go with this, this person, like go with a point guard, go with a whatever. And so they form the team and then your team just goes and play in the tournament. And then if you win, if you're good, you, you get selected to stay the afternoon and during the afternoon they tell you about going to the states like back in the day like they just had started having like europeans and french people uh, going to the nba right it was like the golden age like of both hip-hop and basketball so we were all like crazy you know watching games like at crazy hours uh, of the night like during the playoffs i was actually playing against tony parker and peers like that at that time and it's like a, a, an era where a lot of like French basketball players went to the U.S. So, so the first one, Tariq Abdul-Wahad, came to the Nike camp uh, and told us about going to the States. And what I was talk, talking about earlier, you know, like being able to study and to play sports at the same time. Because like as an athlete, you always have to have like the after basketball of the after football or whatever. Because like, you know, it, on, it don't only go till like 40 years old or whatever. So they were telling us about going to college and everything. So so Nike did that and then put us in touch with the scouts and the scouts sent us to the US. We went to um, LA, uh, Long Beach and uh, Las Vegas. We did tournaments there. And then there were coaches who ended up like choosing who they wanted to have in their teams in high schools. And then uh, I was sent to Atlanta at Cathedral Academy and later at Lincoln Park High School in Chicago with Michael Adiri, who was another French kid. So how did you end up at Howard? Why Howard University in Washington? I mean, historically, it's known as a, a black university, I guess. Yeah, I was like going around like uh, to choose my universities. Like I had received like a few letters like of acceptance and people wanted me to play in a team and everything. And I went to visit an uncle in D.C. and I went around looking at different schools. I went to America and to Howard and uh, and other schools. And, and uh, I ended up like... And Howard, like, there was a down with me, having me. And uh, to me, it made so much sense. You know, like, uh, it was an HBCU. I've always been fascinated about, like, the Black experience and about Black culture and Black cultures in general um, and Black American culture, definitely. Like, it gave us Black American culture for, like, Afropeans. And, and many Afropeans would tell you but for Afro-French people or Black French people, 
it was like hip hop culture and black American culture kind of like gave us a resonance because we've been like, how you say that erased kind of, uh, of, of society. We're always considered had like this second, like hierarchy of French identity, I guess, or, or we were always like less valid as French citizens. And you didn't see like black people except to, and still today, like to be in stereotypical roles in, in the media and everything. We've been like othered a lot and erased. So, uh, when we we were really looking up, like many people in the world, like like many black people in the world were looking up at black American culture because you had like shows like the Cosby show that, you know, gave you perspectives like of, you know, middle class black American family and like, you know, other things than just like being thugs or whatever. And then, you know, you had like hip hop that gave us a voice to to voice our, our frustrations and everything, like, you know, with movements like, you know, Public Enemy and, and other people. Uh, and so, and actually French hip hop was like really big on that because like we kind of found our own voice and identity through their voices and we kind of like paralleled that. I mean, which in the experience is always like parallel. It kind of stems from the same thing of white supremacy and European supremacy and challenges that people who are other have to live. So when I got to to Howard, it was like, you know, like, this is so amazing. So when I went to Howard, I learned, uh, I learned all this uh, uh, great literature. Like I learned the Toni Morrison's, uh, you know, I, I learned uh, that went to Howard actually, uh, people like, you know, uh, um, Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway, uh, Diddy went to Howard, uh, Chadwick Boseman went to Howard. Actually at the same time that, that I went, and we got so many interesting people from many different backgrounds you know, inventors, like, and, and it was such a, such a great experience. So like went to answer your question when, when, you know, it was a no brainer, man. Like to me, I, w- I was always interested in that and, and, uh, and passionate, uh, about this part of our history of like, you know, world history that's been erased. So it was so, so complimentary, you know, even in the arts, like in people like basket, like, I, you know, we didn't hear about any black artists. So I, I, I like, I never really had people who I could physically identify with before I learned about like so many people like, you know, Aaron Douglas, like Jacob Lawrence's and uh, even people that were like in France, but you didn't know about them. Cause like, it's, it's like on the disdain about black folks, like, you know, in, uh, in our Western cultures that we had actually to correct and bring back to the light you know subsequently you got an ma in digital arts and an ma in fine arts from the maryland institute college of arts in baltimore yeah um when did you start with the nails and the gold leaf was it at maryland or were you doing this at howard it was at uh micah the maryland institute college of art in 2004 i've started thinking about it when i was at howard but i actually physically made this work uh, at micah yeah, and I had like good advice on that. Like, you know, I had like Leslie King Hammond and, and everything. And, and yeah, it was a good good experience. It was much different to be at Micah than, than Howard. <laughs> in what way? Oh man, Howard is like the culture, man. It's it's uh you're in the middle, like Howard is heaven, I man. Like especially when you're young and everything. And there's so much knowledge that you soak in and it's so exciting, but not just the knowledge, it's just like the environment that you're in. Like, you know, you're in the midst of like black america but like also in a university so like you have all this knowledge around you i forgot even to talk about like tanahasi quotes also went to, to, to howard or whatever and then you have like you know the music so 
things that came like way later, like movies about Battle of the Bands and everything. But we had that, like it was normal. Like, you know, we had the bands playing. Like I always use like some of those vivid memories that, oh, also fashion, everybody had to like be flyer than everybody. And I always thought that every <laughs> every college was like that. But then I went to do like lectures in really like high rated, like high ranked colleges and stuff, even Ivy League colleges. And I saw like nobody, like Howard people were like really well-dressed, like everybody was fly, like women were fly. So you had like, <laughs> it, I don't know, it was like being in a, constantly being like in a, in a movie or like a music video. Yeah, I remember the days where where we were, I mean, because there's so much culture, man. It's like you're in the heart of one of like the most influential culture in the world, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and you have this whole legacy, man. And like just, you know, unfurling like right in front of your, your eyes or, or you live in it, you know what I'm saying? And so like I was saying at some point when you had sunny days in the beginning of the spring, People would just like start. I remember like scenes where you have people like in the cipher because we had like a couple of MCs uh, that went to Howard and stuff, and they would start like they would always be battling and stuff, and then they would just like improvise, and you see like a crowd of people around them, and at some point somebody from because I was in the fine arts building, right? So like somebody from the music department will come out and bring out their drums and start making a beat like for to accompany the the cipher, and then other musicians will come out. Then next thing you know, you will have that. Like, I'm not even like, this is things that I've seen, like, just like happen organically. It was like, it was always like that. And you had like crazy parties. And, and we learned so much about like so much cultures, like things that I'm still using till this day, like uh, some of this knowledge, man. And, and uh, I didn't realize till like much later how like privileged I was to be in that environment. Yeah, man, it was so rich. It's, uh, it was It was great. And it was like people from all over the world. You had people from, every state in the united states and you had like a couple afropeans you had a couple like west africans like from nigeria and ghana yeah man it was like people from literally like black people from all over the world man it was so such an interesting like, like literally it was like wakanda like you know being there it's it was so rich man yeah so so the the i guess the experience was was much different than being in grad school isolated where you are being a minority again when you're at the Maryland Institute College of, of Art, which was, you know, it's a good school, a great school. I went there, like a couple people were still my friends, like uh, Amy Sherald, who did uh, Michelle Obama's uh, portrait that says at the National Portrait, yes, portrait yes. Gallery or Shanique Smith. Yeah, man, like we had like mad talented people. But it was a different experience. Like it was much more lonely it was like we were like still under like microaggressions and we were other it was like different like like a little group of black artists within that school so it's like the same dynamic then we kind of experiencing in, in the real world i guess was it important for you to stay in education for as long as you did yeah man like at some point uh so and i was not like I, like i was saying earlier i wasn't necessarily this destined for that in the beginning uh, uh, to actually pursue education uh, uh, that long, uh, um, and uh, but at some point, I guess like I was blessed, or or the law of attraction kind of took me like on a ride, on this ride where I keep on like traveling and traveling, and then uh, uh, at some point I'm, I'm being I have mentors and people who put me in the right direction. 
I remember like when I was um, finished with my bachelor's uh, at Howard, um, um, one of my men mentors, uh, um, uh, Mike Platt, uh, uh, you know, rest in peace. He, uh, um, I needed like to learn more about printmaking because I was quite interested in it at the same same uh, at that time. And he let me like you know use uh, his material in his house and everything. He's like you know, an incredible artist. He passed away like last year, or year before, and um and um yeah, artist from black artist from DC. And he, I was telling him like yeah, like uh, he asked me at some point, oh, so what you gonna do after you graduate? It was like my last year, and he was like, uh, I, I was tell, I, I told him, oh, I don't know, I might go back to France and like you know like see my girlfriend. It was like yo, like <laughs> like. He was, like he cussed it, like, but I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, cuss like. But like he was like basically, like you be a fool and like you gotta go as far as you can, you know, uh, with education while you're young and while you can. Uh, and they introduced me to um, to Leslie, him, and another mentor who was a teacher, uh, Professor James Phillips, uh, um, who was at Howard and he was part of the Africa movement too. Um, and they introduced me to Leslie King Hammond, who was a uh, the director of uh, uh, graduate studies uh, at the Maryland Institute College of Art, um, which, by the way, is the oldest art school uh, in the in the United States. I think Jeff Koons also went to to uh, to MICA, um, and um, so so it's like a pre prestigious school. Uh, and um, and and Leslie was like, "Yo, like yeah, like she 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 saw my portfolio and she was definitely." She wanted to have me and everything, and same thing. They gave me a scholarship. Then later, I got like a Fulbright scholarship, so I was like really set. So yeah, I decided to like not go back to France and 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 continue my adventure in the states. Uh, so so yeah, like basically what what he told me was like you know go as far as you can while you're young, and uh, and that was like such a such a great advice from like Mike Platt, you know. Mm. Was it difficult going back to Paris? I think you ended up working in your parents' garage. Yeah, right? man. Like, uh, yeah, I was like uh, <laughs> there, but I mean, it, it was fine. That's part of the experience. And I was there during um, the 2005 riots uh, 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 in Paris after Ziad and Buna got uh, killed by the racist police, uh, 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 and um, and it went like it was crazy. It was like doing three weeks, but then again, this is kind of like what I knew my whole life and I kind of like needed that energy uh for my work so so I think like that was also as like you know negative as that might have been it's also like uh I turned it positively to to create things with my work you know and then uh it was part of the experience like you know like working from the cold uh <laughs> like the garage in the winter uh uh was like makes you feel uh even better to have or more blessed like to have a studio <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh <laughs> like a, a a big studio and not have to you know be in the cold in between two cars and uh yeah <laughs> yeah it was... was the black experience always going to be your subject matter when did you decide that that was going to be what you were going to talk about in your art i think it was like i, I haven't even decided it was just uh that I was talking about it. I've always, it's, it's just, it takes me. It's, uh, 
it's part of my experience. Like at some point when, we, so the three things we were doing, like, I, like I'm not even going, like, but, but three things we were doing as teenagers with my brothers and stuff, we were rapping, like I was playing basketball, rapping and doing art. And um, so I guess at, when I was younger, all these frustrations and, and these experiences that I lived or that I saw around or that I was interested in, like I would express it through the art of rap. Uh, uh, but um, as I grew and was more interested and was more refined, uh, uh, and I refined my, my art skills, um, then I started to express that uh, through it. But it's just that because it's, I mean, when you're art, like being an artist, like it's like being a singer or a, a filmmaker. You you make art about what touches you, right? About what you're feeling and, and about your expression and what you want to express or, or talk about or or, or show uh, or reveal. So um, I guess me, that's all. As I'm just revealing, I'm I'm an artist. And I just I'm just revealing my experiences and experiences of people around me and. and frustrations that I have on these topics and these issues so it's funny because like right now like of course everybody's talking about it but like for as long as I've been drawing I was drawing images of Angela Davis it's like there's a drawing that I did when I was eight they have like Desmond Tutu, Angela Davis, uh, Harlem Désir and uh, Yannick Noah so um, I don't know where, where, when I'm gonna stop it's just as an artist, I'm going to stop when I feel like, you know, talking about something else. But I think it's something that will always, like, it's, it's a topic. There's so much injustice to, like, uh, um, to correct that basically we're going to be, it's, it's a life struggle. Like, we're going to be at it, like, for life, unfortunately. So I think that it's something that will always be around. Uh, and whenever I feel like talking about other things, I will. But yeah, this is a. Uh, I think it's it's definitely something that's unfortunately gonna gonna be around, you know. Yeah, I mean, you talked about obviously your experience at Howard University that was very positive, but I'm I'm interested to know how the black experience uh, differs in the U.S. than from Europe. Okay, so basically, I would say that the the U.S. experience is uh, extremely violent. Uh, so. Now, because of internet, everybody is going is starting to learn about like redlining and things that's been hidden or whatever. And you know, like you know, we just knew about Jim Crow and slavery, but like there's so many other things about Black Wall Street and stuff. Like it's so violent. Like and then it's like you know, weapons and lynchings. And um, so in France, actually, it's violent because like France likes to erase. Like the difference I would say is that uh, on in the United States is um is apparent uh. Everything is apparent, like you see it, uh, and people acknowledge. At least they acknowledge the violence. The violence is like it's it's uh, it's terrible. It's present. It's it's there, um, and but people acknowledge it. You know what I'm saying? And people will talk about it. And, and there's a certain morality behind it, even in the midst of the craziness and the white supremacists and and all that. Like. It's been still, it's still part of the conversation, right? The difference, so you say Europe, but I'm going to go with France, which I know more, for instance, for instance than, than the UK. Um, but I can tell you for sure that France tries to erase all that. So their, their rhetoric is like, oh, uh, you know, slavery is like, we still trying to paint that image of the country of human rights, which I think is like, 
completely like you know a, a farce in a uh, in respect uh, that we've colonized half of the world uh, and still have colonies like on five continents uh, and enslaved like we're like in the top five enslavers you know what I'm saying so we can't be the country of human rights so that's one thing so there's this hypocrisy and also the I think um, media and and I'm seeing that especially right now because even in the world like right now there's like a, a kind of like a, a shift where everybody's like on, on like you know black lives matter where like 10 days ago black lives matter was still vilified uh um but like in france they're always trying to make it like racism like something that's like american or something and they try to sweep under the rug the fact that like slavery like we had slavery i mean we still have slavery like in guadeloupe which is part of france even if it's in the caribbean that's like that's what we were doing so and it's always trying to beautify the image of that and like not acknowledge thing i think that's like the great that's what's very specific about uh french racism is that like oh no this is not racist it's not like i mean when george floyd got killed like we like you know i think paris with probably london like we probably the most the blackest cities in europe uh uh and uh in france like like seriously like after george floyd died like the for about five days or a week, you wouldn't like see seldom like a black person invited to talk about racism. And they were trying to see, see and the question is always asking like, oh, is France racist? Or is like the police, French police racist? Like, and there was, and, and, and the, the, the journalists would actually adamantly try to uh, 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 shut down any black person who would, be, who would say the opposite. But like, they would only invite like white people to talk about racism. Even worse than that, they would like uh, invite notorious racists who have been condemned for racist uh, 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 for incitation uh, to racial hatred or something uh, to talk about these matters or people who who don't know nothing about that. Um, um, and when they invite like a couple of like some of my friends like Rokaya Diallo, like Manfatunyang or Mabula Sumao, like who are like really brilliant. Um, a woman who actually teach those like who every day of their lives research that have statistics they know things um they they're invited and people just yell at them and it's like and and they're facing people who don't don't even have the knowledge or whatever so i think like the this denial is very french um and it's uh i think some, sometimes it's even more violent than the violence i mean like we've had uh uh who has been raped by police like in front of a camera like he 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 was like they 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 raped him with the baton uh and and you know like people are still like trying to, to paint him as like oh yeah but he was doing the illicit things or, or his brother was doing illicit things i think which he was not necessarily and they try to justify these things and, and uh and it's crazy like uh, i don't think that like in any uh uh even like I don't know, like there's so, so much to say, like even to get, um, like there's so much to unfurl like about France, but also it's the denial. Like I think the strongest thing about this very uh, particular about French racism um, is the denial, how media both and uh, the government, uh, uh, like as in politicians, will uh, try to downplay uh, what our experiences, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a quote from you I was quite interested to talk about where you said that I was always encouraged to be an artist, 
But when I looked around me, there was no one who looked like me. I used to ask myself if I was an exception or was this a white vocation? I mean, how hard is it to be a, an artist of color? There's, I mean, that's the thing, like you kind of feel, you really like wonder, yeah, you wonder if you're the exception, you wonder, uh, it, you, know, you ask yourself weird questions. Like, I mean, I'm saying like, that was like my uh, uh, teenager mind, you know, like, uh, so, you know, you ask yourself questions. Like, I guess, I guess a lot of people could be discouraged also. If it's your passion, it's your passion, but still like, you know, um, it, it's kind of, it's, it's very awkward. It's very, uh, to, to not see people uh, people like you I guess it was this that's why it's so very important to have um, uh, examples uh, of people who look like you and that's why to to kind of like pave the way so for instance in tennis uh, tennis used to be like super white or whatever but like if you didn't have like people like Yannick Noah uh, or the the Williams sister or, or Arthur Ashe or whatever like you then yeah like you wouldn't have so many black people today in tennis or or uh, um, I think it's like examples uh, are very important. The problem is like there's so many doors are closed for us uh, that I mean, like even to like for for I mean, like we're talking. So the United States have been in the USA in the world in general. Like I would say a lot. Like right now, there's like a much bigger tendency to showcase the art, like you know, of like African artists or or, um, or like Black American artists, like. Uh, in museums but it's true that like in in france even though like we have shown the and we've ha have had like exhibits uh, of african artists we never hear there's this um agenda where like the black french like black french people are uh muted you know what I'm saying like they don't want to hear that happens in many countries right uh um basically where the black people of that country get muted other blacks can talk because they know that the black people of their, their own country will, you know, most likely complain and complain about the system or whatever. So um, it's very rare, like, to even see, like, so it was rare to see, like, black people being artists. But now, like, it's rare to see black French artists, like, being part of the conversation or whatever. That's something that, that I'd like to change. I was invited by... Um, by um, Zach, Zach Ove, Big Brother Zach in the, in the UK, uh, to uh, participate in uh, uh, Get Up, Stand Up Now, which I thought was brilliant. I would love to do something like he did um, uh, about friends because, like, you know, he uh, also joined and gave a um, uh, uh, speech to uh, or a platform for uh, black British artists of all, like, of many generations to kind of, like, paint this history of Britain, of Great Britain, uh, uh from our perspectives and i think that's like something that was like missing that might have been missing from from for, you know like in uh in uh in the uk but that's definitely missing from like friends i mean you've said that the work uh, represents history and struggle as well as aspirations for something better but you've also talked about tiredness mm -hmm. so when you when you talk about this tiredness what, what what do you what do you mean by that tiredness man it's uh whole lives man it's uh uh I want to imagine, see, like you see, like because right now, like some people are like waking up to what's been going on our whole lives uh, today. So it's like, oh, people are like furious right now. But really, like we've we've lived this, like we've been lived, like if, if even so, I mean, when you're black, like even if you're not 
somebody in Rodney King's family, you see in images like that. Imagine, like, I mean, you see that and you see Teoluaka, who I said was like raped by the police and beat by the police like severely, like to the point where the the president like went to like on his bed because they knew like that could have been like another like race riots or, or you know. And um and and then you see that and then like nothing happens. You see the media even the violence of it. It's not just like the actual violence which is terrible. It's also you know the la banalization like the banalization uh how you say that the how it becomes like normal the the normality of it all like then like mm. normalization yeah no normalization like where media would be like looking at that and try to look at the family trying to trying to make excuses for the fact uh that it was okay to kill uh mike uh uh mike brown uh um uh, that it was okay to kill, uh, uh, to kill, uh, to rape Theo Luaka, to kill Adama Traoré in France, uh, whose sister have been fighting for like four years now uh, to try to get justice for him, where they locked two of her brothers up, where the state is really trying to intimidate her and her family. Um, one of her brothers has been locked up for like four years right now. And after her brother was killed by the police, uh, exactly like George Floyd and, and, uh, um, so, I mean, not exactly, but like suffocated by three cops, uh, like, like 250 mm. kilos, mm. uh, on his back, um, uh, on his birthday. And so you see that, then you go to Brazil, Brazil, like it's even like higher, like it's crazy. Like, you know, that's, and this, that's where my mom was from. And, and I've seen this like my whole life. And, and then you just see injustice and then those cops not being tried. Um, and, and, and now with the internet, like you see it even clearer, like all the time on your feed, you see all this evidence and it's, it's an aggression. It's a cancer. That's is is uh, it eats you. It's in you because like when you see the injustice, like nothing is done. And then you like, and, and, uh, uh, even if something was done, which is not the case, like, I mean, like right now, like imagine you have to have like the whole world rallying to try to get somewhat, maybe a little bit of justice. That's what it gets. Like literally you need like to have like black, white, everybody, the whole freaking society. Like I'm mean, talking about like a worldwide movement to maybe get a little bit of justice is here and there. Because like, like a month ago, people were like still, you know, denying our struggles. Like, you know, you would, tell them and then, like especially in france like there would be like a lot like oh yeah you're exaggerating or like whatever we can't like the casual uh um casual racism is like so you know uh pernicious here like you know and uh uh yeah man so that's what i'm saying like uh it's all, like to, like there's a point where you feel like losing like almost like you're losing sanity like and, and that's where yeah. a lot of people talk about like mental health and stuff because and a lot of like black people don't don't want to see these images because they feel like uh, like they're violent. I'm I'm like we have to see them still, and, and, and because something needs to change and we need to be angry. And, and and the problem is that when we don't see them, like we know how it is, but not everybody knew how it was. You know what I'm saying? A lot of white people, for instance, mm -hmm. were still like you know like 
giving um benefit of the doubt or like playing devil's advocate and stuff and then when you see so a lot of people needed to actually see these images but it's true for us who live not with just with these images but this reality and this denial also that this is reality uh it's uh it's a lot you know it's a lot so that's that's what i was talking about to, to, to answer your question you know i've taken up loads of your time so this is going to be my my final question alexi um what are your plans for the future you have an exhibition happening at the october gallery in london i believe yep so i mean we've been playing on that like for about a couple of years now i think almost and um and so like i was looking forward to doing it and uh I'm still pushing to do it and hopefully like, you know, um, everything will happen and, uh, you know, um, the, we won't have like no, no crazy, uh, you know, lockdown like we had, uh, before. Um, so I'm, I'm being positive. Uh, and besides that, I'm like hoping to work, um, um, doing like other solo shows uh, in other parts of the world. Um, uh, and, uh, if the art fairs like pick up again, uh, because also that's a, another thing with the, the pandemic um, that we can't control. Like if the art fairs pick up, then I'll, I'll be showing in uh, uh, different places. Uh, um, but we're waiting on all of these to be confirmed. You know, like in London, normally we always do 154 in October. Um, so hopefully I'll be having my, my solo show at October Gallery. <laughs> in september october and then also <laughs> show at the same time um at okay 154 but we don't we we like we're not sure of anything right now you know there's uh other fairs but we we have to be confirmed you know well my fingers are crossed for you thank you so much for your time alexi i really really appreciate it it's been hugely enlightening and you've been incredibly patient with the uh, technical difficulties we've experienced so thank you so much yeah thanks thanks for inviting me man it was a pleasure to learn more about alexi's work and a new film he's looking for funding for go to octobergallery.co.uk there are images from the interviews as well as little films and other things on my Instagram page, Grant on Design. If you've enjoyed listening and want to see this podcast flourish, then please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this from. If you feel so inclined, you can also go to my Patreon page and make a pledge. That's patreon.com forward slash material matters. You'll be helping to take the message of the importance of materials, skill, craft and design to a whole new audience. So that's it. The end of an elongated series. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you're all staying safe and Material Matters will be back in September.